Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. Um, and James, um, do bist in, auf, in, oh God, nach Deutschland, yeah? Yeah, ja, jawohl. Um, yeah, I'm very much in Deutschland. I'm, um, I'm at the um, Bundesarchiv Militär Archiv, um, which is in Freiburg in Brisgau, um, in the Black Forest, in the Schwarzwald. And actually, I did indulge in some... Um, Schwarzwald Torte mit oh, Kirscher last oh night. Oh dear, you're going to end up. You're going to come back with some midriff. You don't have to. Well, I don't think so actually, because one of the things I've noticed um, about folk in Freiburg is yeah. that they're not challenged around the waistline at all. Really? No, they're lean and they oh. cycle everywhere. And I tell you what, it's raining and it's oh. grey and there's trams and everywhere you go, there's freaking cyclists. Yeah, and it's lethal. It's it absolutely like, lethal. I've nearly it, run over twenty. Is it bordering on Dutch levels of cycling. Uh, bordering, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and like it. the Dutch, they don't bother with helmets. No, they don't and, bother with helmets. If everyone's on a bike, you don't need the helmet. So, um, uh, paint paint the paint, paint the scene for us. Uh, um, the Bundesmilitär Archive is that like is that a building with with you know a Palladian arch and. Uh, and a tata, uh, and w- w- how's it presented? Is and a, it and a scrubbed out eagle and swastika? Well, like, well, this is it, you see, because after all, where does where does where does a military archive sit in in the German um, uh, public sphere? Uh, uh, you, you know, uh, it would. The whole I mean, thing it, it, is, it's it's just no, it's 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 just it's so far removed from that. It's not true. So it's interesting because Freiburg is an old university city. Yeah. Um, and it is it is a beautiful city. It's got these lovely cobbled streets. It's got these little yeah. kind of water culverts that run down the edge of the streets. And all the pavements are cobbled as well. And they've got lovely. little patterns in them. And there's trams and old sort of yeldy German, sort of southern German pub kind of things. Um, and Gothic writing and, and murals on the walls of the buildings. And it's and it's really lovely. And it's got a lovely cathedral in the centre of a big square in the centre of town and stuff. Mm. And that's all great. But on the outside, it's all kind of sort of light industry and, and, yeah. and car manufacturers and um, um, home improvement stores. And it's all quite modern. And just around the corner is a big sort of um, uh, sort of wire fence and and a series of grey flat top buildings, metal looking buildings, completely yep. nondescript, and that is the archive. Right. Um, and, and you go in, and it's all very sparse and grey and um, slightly echoey, which is one of the reasons I've come back to my gashed house yeah. um, to do this rather than stay in the um, in the archive because it's just too bare and you know and sort of. Yeah, it's just it's it's weird. But when you go in there, so so we rang up beforehand, and they said, "No, I'm sorry, we haven't got enough. Um, we haven't got enough space for two people to come next week. We've only got space for one." Yeah, this was about three weeks ago. Yeah, and then Dorothy, my friend Dorothy Schneider, who's an art historian, but who's a great old friend, and she does all sorts of you know freelance stuff and translation yeah. stuff. So she's with me this week. So Dorothy then rang rang back, and 
they said, actually, we have got one desk after all. Um, so she went, great. And then she explained that I'd already bought my tickets and everything. And is there any way they could squeeze me in? They went, um, well, yeah, that'd probably be okay. So I got there on Monday afternoon. There's loads of desks. Yeah. Absolutely loads of desks. And they put us next to a whole load of other people. So there's there's maybe, I don't know, 14 rows of desks. And the front three were all busy. And they put us in the middle of that. Yeah. So right next to people where we're going to obviously be talking, but already in a low voice. Yeah. Um, and no, you know, not far away. And then across the room, across the kind of forecourt, there's an empty room, which Dorothy had already said to them, you know, mm. in the past, we've been in this empty room. And they went, oh, no, no, there's absolutely no way you can use that. So anyway, we got there and I, and I said to Dorothy, look, that room's empty. Why can't we just ask them if we can go in that room? So we said, any chance we could go in that room? And they went, yeah, sure. Right. So there's, <laughs> so clearly, just... there's clearly some sort of uh, uh, very stringent gatekeeping policy. Um, but once, you, once <laughs> you're in, just... you're in. Yeah. And so anyway, so we already had folders that we'd, we'd, we'd ordered up. We got them. They said, um, anything that's got red writing on the, on the slip that comes with it, you can't photograph. Right. So we went through them. Every single one of them had red, red writing. writing on it, inevitably. And whose red, and write, whose red writing is it? And what does that, de- apart from you can't photograph it, what does that denote? So what do you, you get the folder and it's got a little white slip with a paper clip attached to the front of the cardboard folder. And it yep. says, James Holland, um, MSG1 forward slash 3298 or whatever it is. Yep. And if that's printed in red, you can't photograph it. Right. So they're all printed in red. And Dorothy <laughs> said... What are you saying? We can't photograph this. And they went, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. So we have okay. been photographing it, even though they're all in red. So the whole thing is just really weird and illogical and contrary and confusing and, you know. So, so proponents of the idea of German uh, efficiency would, would probably be tripped up by some of this, but, to putting it politely. They absolutely would, yeah. And you've just got to kind of sort of go with the flow and just sort of... Yeah. Nod and, and nod and, and go along with the rules. And then when you get there, just... And how, how comprehensive is the archive? I mean, d- d- because, because one, of the things, one of the things that people... D- d- that sort of is interesting about um, Germany uh, uh, and the war is that we tend to think... We tend to forget that there's a civil service just ticking away during the whole thing, doing, doing its government's bidding. And then when another government comes along after the war, it's basically the same people. You know that are that are that are running stuff and are they filing stuff and doing the doing the triplicate and all that. That that's you know when you look at Berlin for instance, the people that the city planners that work with Speer um, during the war and during the before the war, during the war, during the during the bombing there, and you know and then after the war are the same people. The fact yeah. that the fact that the boss changes and that so therefore policy changes it's still the same people so is the is the is the bundes archive military is it is it comprehensive or did they shred loads of stuff did loads of it go in a you know go in a go in an incinerator or, or, or i mean what 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 survives um the, it's it's really clear there's there's huge there are gaps yeah but but where those gaps are it's, it's really hard to know precisely because there is also a huge amount of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so one of the one of the difficulties, one of the challenges, is trying to to find what it is you want. So yeah. you, so the areas where they have personal memoirs, diaries, and stuff that have been handed in is in uh, is in a subdivision called MSG One and MSG Two. 
And, and you can use various search tools, sort of like Italian, particularly units or whatever. And it doesn't always quite cross-reference correctly. Yeah. So Dorothy did a kind of an early search on that for me and got a couple of things out. And I said, yeah, but what about Wilhelm Schmaltz? You know, my friend from Sicily, you know, where he, you know he's, he's commanding the Hermann Goering division in Italy. So wh- where's he? You know, what's going yeah. on with that? And, you know, he's at Salerno and stuff. So then she looks up Schmaltz and he, he does pop up. But, but in a completely different bit. I've just found the ward diary of the 29th Panzer Grenadier Division, which is great. Yeah. But then also attached to that is a, is a whole load of personal notes and other documents and stuff, which doesn't have any kind of obvious thread, but is just sort of bundled together. Yeah. Then we looked up also, we got, we got this amazing diary by a guy called Scherner, not the bastard Field Marshal Scherner, but a different Scherner, who's commanding the 358th. And it says, you know, it's in the Italian campaign. So I'm sort of getting really, really excited. And this huge diary turns up and it's all typed. So it's not sort of weird Gothic writing or anything like that. And it looks absolutely amazing. But it turns out that he was in Italy in 1941, during right. the, you know, after the, immediately after the Greek campaign. Right. And all the bit that I want him, you know, 1943, 1944, he's on the East Front. Because I was there thinking, it goes, sud Ukraine. And it's like, no, because I was just getting really, really excited. I thought I had this absolute, absolute bonzo gold diary and of course it's not from the right bit but and is um, there, if is, i ever do the eastern front then i'll have to kind of yeah then you've got then there he is i mean if, is, he is. It, is it subject to the usual thing that some people write extremely comprehensive battle diaries because they've or, or diaries because they've got time and other people are like you know moved up to move moved up to top of mountain not sure which one you know map, map reference rather than the name and all that and and also the other thing I was, in, I was wondering is how political is some of it, it, it? Is there politics jumbled in with it too? Is there, is there you know, missive, Nazi missive number, you know, Fuhrer order, whatever. Is that also part of it? And do they comment on that or do they just present it without comment? I mean, that's the, because after all, after all, British war diaries are also political because they've, they've got, uh, they've got stuff coming through, that, you know, from, that they've got to, They've got to tell the men, and you know the, the morale is, after all, it, it, a really political question, um, because uh, as we've been discussing, you you know you need to know what you're fighting for, and in the end, that's a political question. That that that's a question that occupies the political sphere more than the strat- strategic, more and, and it's out, outside the tactical. So you can't implement the other two or the operational. You can't implement those three without a clear political aim. Where does that fit into the picture? Well, there's an awful lot of Heil Hitlering, um, I would say. In, in... <laughs> in like every other page I was looking at, the first thing this morning was, was Heil Hitler signed off, you know. Uh, yeah, that's... I, I was then reading a thing about the 29th Panzer Grenadier Division at Alta Villa, which is part of the, uh, which is, you know, when they get attacked during the Salerno landings. And it's yeah. like, you know, we will always, this will go down in fame along with other great names, you know, a great stance by the German, German, um, armed forces along with, you know, this blah, 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 Stalingrad and Alta Villa and all this. Kind of, yeah, so but Jim, great. is that, is, is that not us back projecting tone onto them? Because after all, a, a, a British regiment will sign off with "God Save the King." We've done the we, we've done what our what our predecessors did at Waterloo and at Sevastopol. And is it not? How do you? Yeah, maybe. Do you, maybe. How, maybe, how, maybe it's how, a bit do you, of that. how do you tease those apart? Because that's you know, out of ammunition, "God Save the King." Is that any different to out of ammunition, Heil Hitler? I mean, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Because everyone's saying Heil Hitler in the way that everyone's saying God Save the King. 
Yeah, no, no, that's just your that's your standard sign off. So I yeah. don't think you can read anything into that whatsoever. That, well, you know, I know, that's but it's like, just interesting. That's like it's saying in- you know all the best. You know, it's um, well, it's that's what, exactly. It's just it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's the grammar of how they're all talking to each other. Yeah. And the thing in the end we can never divine is is how a uh, written down Heil Hitler. How much? How you know what percentage Heil Hitler it is? Whether it's the well, I've read a I've read a couple of things this morning. First of one was one which I sent over to you, which was by um, Bogislaw von Bonin, who's a colonel in the, um, you know, he's in he's in the army's army staff of Army Group C. Yeah. Um. Uh, um. But then army groups, you know, um, armed forces in the south, which is sort of you know Kesselring's command, um. In Sicily, and and he's saying, you know, we used to we used to kind of mock the British for calling Dunkirk a glorious retreat, yeah, and and we think retreating was really bad, and you should never go backwards and everything. But you know, things have changed, and now we realise after after the success of leaving Sicily yes. that actually there is such a thing as a, a glorious retreat, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, and then there's this thing about Altavilla in the 29th Panzer Grenadier Division where they're sort of going, you know, we you know we not back, but we gave them a bloody nose, and you know, actually. Our stand there against overwhelming artillery fire was, yeah. you know, bloody good effort and all this. You know, so there's a lot of of that. There's also a lot of we haven't got enough shells. We haven't got enough artillery. Um, the enemy artillery is overwhelming. Yeah. Um, our trains aren't running on time. You know, they're constantly broken. The, yeah. the Yarbos, blah blah blah. So there's, there's a lot of that, which sort of makes it all seem quite grim. I mean, that that report in itself about Dunkirk is absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, uh, the, the, the opening, the opening bit of it's worth reading. It's, uh, uh, yeah. it's, it's re- retrospect. It's called. Yes, yeah, so I think it's written. I kind of when it's. I can't quite tell when it was written, but I think in the been... year in the year nineteen forty, in connection with the events of Dunkirk, and also in connection with other events, the English theme of glorious retreat was treated by the German press and propaganda in the light of the then, uh, in the then unexampled success as a contradiction in terms and a joke. At that time, the German soldier also failed to understand. How right and justified was the term. It is unfortunate the majority of the German army was unable to learn its meaning, even in the further course of the war. I mean, that's that's fascinating. We didn't realise how, how, you know, how retreating at that moment was exactly the right thing for the British to have done, he's saying. Um, We had more than enough retreat. We had more than enough retreats, but through the fruit of our higher command, they almost never ended gloriously. I mean, it's... I mean... Red, obviously, you know, if only hindsight, it hadn't been for our high command, we'd have been fine. Well, yes, hindsight's a bitch and all that, and and yes, <laughs> and and of course, one of the things we've talked about and we keep, kind of keep coming back to is the German officer corps is very, very good at going. Well, you know, if it had been left to us, we'd have won, which is the which is the refrain of the First World War. Um, you know, people people higher up stabbing us in the back, letting us down, and that the sort of reflexive uh, stab in the back myth thing from the German officer corps in the Second World War, moves its locus onto, onto Hitler, which is, I think, you know, which is, which is very interesting, isn't it? Because after all, yep. that's the, that's the, the, you've had 20 years of that as political language in Germany that you were stabbed in the back in the First World War. So you're just, yep. moving, you're just moving it onto someone you're else. Just, you're just shifting it forward 20 years and, and putting yeah. it on someone else, aren't you? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's a, that's a fascinating sort of piece of... You know that the Germans, or is it German psychology or military psychology or, or whatever, yeah. or the psychology of defeat? Which, after all, you know, uh, when when the when the Germans are winning, we're all in it together, and it's the the Führer's brilliance and our brilliant generals. And when when they start losing, it's it's it's, all, it's someone fault. else's fault. It's someone else's fault, yeah, and not the, not necessarily the Allies being 
good and uh, and well applied because it's a thing that the allies the allied the allies buy is the idea that the germans are being badly led i mean they are but it's the thing that the allies buy rather than going hang on a minute we're actually not doing a bad job here that then that yeah. then metamorphoses after the war into a kind of idea that the allies are actually a bit crap and yeah i mean it's 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 very very interesting as a piece of as a sort of psychological answer to losing that it's everyone's fault but yours um, yeah. And that the, the Germans, the Germans, you know, the, the locust moves to Hitler rather than socialists or democratic socialists or Jews or, or yeah. whoever. That, that, that in the end, they end up pinning it on the bloke who hates all those people. I and mean, it's sort of the, if you're a fan of irony, there's irony on offer, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. The other thing that's interesting is, is you know, there are uh, I've been looking at um, uh, a guy called um, Jörg Zellner, who's a uh, yeah. company commander in the uh, 44th. Hocken Deutschmeister um, yep. uh, division, and one of my favourites. He yep. <laughs> oh, definitely one of my favourites, and um, he talks about people just um, deserting. You know, we had another deserter last night. Yeah, that kind of thing. You know, it, it comes out in his diary. He comes across as an incredibly nice guy. He's constantly worrying about his wife and his kids back home, and the bombing raids and all the rest of it, which he would be. Yes. Um, came across this amazing diary, and, and sadly, it just doesn't work for us at all, uh, for me, because um, although he was in Italy, he's a Luftwaffe pilot, and although he's in, in, um, in, in Italy, he's only based up in Venice, and, and most of the time he's in the Balkans and Yugoslavia, um, but he's also been on the Eastern Front as well. And in August 1944, so it's past my, my timeline anyway, yeah. he, he, um, he gets this letter from his sister, who's in Königsberg, um, so already the kind of the, yeah. you know, the warning bells are, are ringing. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And she goes, oh, you know, my dear brother, I just want to tell you, I'm, you know, I finally got engaged. I'm so happy. You know, I love him. And, you know, he's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, the next letter that arrives the kind of following week is, is I'm really sorry, but the day after she wrote that letter, she was killed in a bombing raid. Oh, God. And he's, and the father says, my only consolation that my darling daughter has gone is that at the moment she died, she could not have possibly been happier. And the pilot is so so um, Distraught. deranged with grief yeah. that he, he runs out and starts digging a grave for himself to lie in. It's really weird. He just has this moment. His friends have to get him back and just calm him down and give him some schnapps and get him to pull him together. He's so upset. It's absolutely unbelievable. So I've, what I have done is I've, I've, I've photographed the whole thing um, and because it's book length yeah, and it covers such an area. And I was thinking, you know, maybe this is one we could do in our little series. Yeah. Get it translated. It's really, it's really well written and really interesting. And he's got a really interesting war and the sort of various vicissitudes and you know things he witnesses and stuff. And and this sort of heartbreaking family tragedy in the middle of it is, it's really good. So you know, you're, there, there is some amazing stuff out there. Uh, and, and you know, these guys all come across for the most part. They all come across as quite quite human. Um, there's this other brilliant guy called Hans Golder, who's a he's a Nebelwerfer battery commander, and he's just completely brilliant. It's impossible not to like him because he's so jolly. He sees the, absolutely the best in everything, and he's you know even when you know you know everything's terrible, he's got some sort of wry lugubrious comment about it. Yeah, and he goes. The guys keep looking to their old man to lead them through this torment and all the rest of it. All I can do is offer them a few, you know, dregs of gut rot wine that I've managed to get from the Italians. But, you know, what the heck, at least there's something. <laughs> it's all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. So this is to to paint the German half of, of this campaign. Yeah. So so it's, it's, it's just, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, what you what one's trying to do is is because I do things differently to a lot of um, narrative historians. I always try and have my specific cast list. Yeah, you know, where you're following these guys and you get to know them and you get to empathise with them. You know, if I just had one quote from Hans Golder about being a never worth a battery commander, yeah. you'd never get. You, it would just be a quote. It wouldn't. You wouldn't. That wouldn't root you to him because no. you wouldn't. You wouldn't get to know his character. But but what you get from following him through, you know, from the Salerno invasion all the way through to the fall of Rome, which is, and he features in all of that, is you, you get to know him as a character. Yeah. And you can like him or not like him. It doesn't really matter. But the point is you can empathise with his experiences. The frustration, of course, is that, you know, obviously there's an awful lot more allied um, yes. eyewitness accounts than there are German. I mean, what I'm trying to do as much as possible is is not rely on post-war oral histories. I'm yeah. trying to rely as much as I possibly can on on diaries stuff, yeah. and letters and contemporary stuff. I mean, not exclusively so, but but as much as I possibly can. And it's just a bit thinner on the ground for German stuff. So so the, you can't ever do fifty fifty, but but if you can do kind of sixty five thirty five, yeah. And then also, you know, obviously, I'm trying to get Italian civilians and the the civilian experience of what it's like because a lot of that stuff is just ignored when it comes to. Um, when it comes to um, well, neither you side know, narrative partic- histories. No, well, neither side particularly cares either, do they? The Germans, no, Germans, not really. Germans don't care about the Italians and the British and the Americans. Uh, the Allies are thinking, well, you know, you brought this on yourselves. So tough, there's a bit of that until tough. that that happens until someone gets billeted with an Italian family. Yeah. In which case they love them and they kind of, you know, get the softs for the uh, for one of the daughters. And yeah. when they finally have to move on, all the family come out and there's blubbing all round and yeah. everyone's crying and well, hugging. and supply of corned beef's leaving. Yeah. Well, yeah, but also because I think genuinely, you old cynic, they've got on, you know. And um, so, so you know, trying, trying to sort of piece all that together. And the other thing I'm trying to do is, 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 is balance out the emphasis yeah. So that it's not all casino and rapido and you know point five nine three. Obviously, all that that stuff will feature very heavily, but that actually some of the forgotten episodes really get an airing. And 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 you know one of the most amazing stories is the is that you know the crossing of the Sangro, but then the crossing of the Moro, which is kind of ten yards miles further up the track on the Adriatic side. And the Adriatic, the battles that are happening in the Adriatic, you know, from up to kind of January nineteen forty four, they're just completely forgotten. And there's this absolute epic battle yeah. crossing the Moro and going into Ortona yeah. by the Canadians against the first Faustenjäger division yeah which happens in December 19 it starts in the kind of I think the 6th of December and it sort of finishes after Christmas day so they're still fighting on Christmas day and it's this it's an absolute epic yeah and it's like why doesn't anyone know about this because it's incredible and I suppose it's because ultimately what's it achieving you know, you've got across the river and you've got a tiny port town on the Adriatic. Well done. Great. You know, what, how's that getting me to Rome? Well, and also, but also the sort of casino offers you an iconic uh, battle and battlefield. And, uh, you know, doesn't it? it, it I mean, it dominates it, it dominates the story in the way that it dominates the landscape that, the, you know, doesn't it? Well, all I'd say is the level of slaughter on the part of I can't I haven't looked into kind of how badly the Fauschenjäger suffered, but but certainly from the point of view of the Canadians, the attacking Canadians, their slaughter is every bit as bad proportionally as yeah. those of the thirty six Texans crossing the Rapido. Yeah, but it's over three weeks rather than a couple of days, and it's an absolute horror story. Yeah, I mean you know it's it's the last bit of Farley Mower in his in his book and No Bird Sang. And he's just absolutely losing the plot at this point. Yeah. And his great friend and hero, Alex Campbell, who's the company commander, 
um, gets killed. He, get, he gets wounded in, in, at the end of the Sicily campaign and comes back. Um, and he gets killed doing this absolutely bonkers charge. Mm. He basically just gets up and gets, you know, it's kind of Colonel H. Jones stuff yeah. in the Falklands and gets mowed down. And I've discovered that all his letters still exist from and to his wife. Wow. Yeah, and it's, and it's really, really moving. I mean, it's just, it's incredible stuff and, and what they went through and, and what they suffered. And I've, and there's, I've got this, um, this amazing account by this tank guy in the Three Rivers Regiment, Ewan Sherman's. And, and, you know, it is, it is absolutely brutal. It's, it's the most incredible engagement. Well, and they and I've never, got German testimonies as well, so you know uh, I'm feeling quite pleased about and that. And it's that sort of grinding battle. There isn't there there isn't a breakout, is there? Uh, uh, for, no, and they they, two, they just they finally years. they've got across the Moro, and they find, they finally think they've got to Ortona. There's Ortona just standing there, and what they haven't realised is this thing called the gully, which is this kind of really narrow, hidden kind of gully where all the mortars and all the guns are, and of course they just can't get past it. Yeah. And it's like this sort of deep trench, which yeah. is effectively protecting Ortona. And so what is supposed to be in a really, really straightforward capture turns into this sort of Stalingrad of the Adriatic. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking, I need to give this a bit of emphasis because it's got cool people, you know, it's, it's, it's got Canadians in it who, you know, big fans of, fans of theirs on this yeah. show. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's got the Fallschirmjäger and, and, well, yes, it's got after, Klein and, but, and all these kind of people. Because after all, uh, 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 you know, the casual account is that the Canadians do Dieppe and then they go to Normandy, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You just, I, I'm, do you, I'm do you completely know, do you know I mean? overwhelmed by their their contribution here. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell you what, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to carry on talking. We've, we've had an interesting message sent to us. Anyway, um, uh, we'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, James Holland, um, um, who is deep in the heart of the Fartiland and um, uh, in the Schwarzwald. It's always, it, do you know what? It's always funny when you say that. Uh, well, well, the thing is, is yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do absolutely love going to Germany. I know, I know exactly yeah. what you mean, what Freiburg must be like. I mean, it's the, the, those, love, those gorgeous towns. Which which make absolutely which couldn't be anywhere else on earth either is the other no. thing. It's that very peculiar thing about you know when you when you when you go when you go to France and Germany is you, you know exactly where you are and there's a, a I mean I don't know have you been done the Universal movie tour in um, Los Angeles <laughs> they have a Europe town set um, <laughs> you, you go to Universal and they've got they've got like the, they've got the they've got they've got a sort of all these different, you know, they've, they've got downtown New York. They've got all these different sets that you just shoot on. And the Europe town, what's funny about the Europe town one is it's not France, Germany, Italy or Spain. They've missed all of that. They're, they're, it's wrong for all of them. But it's like, not like being in America and it's not like being in Britain. It's the, it's the strangest, like, approximation. It's Eurotown. Exactly. And because of the approximation, <laughs> it fails completely. It's very, 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 very odd. Um, anyway, Eurostat. we had this from John Fisher, um, uh, who's in Annapolis in Maryland. He said, earlier today, I encountered your podcast on Mark Clark by seeing a photo on Twitter from the battle at San Pietro. I was particularly struck by the discussion of G2 reports from Anzio. I'm personally interested in these because I believe my, my, my father, then Lieutenant, Lieutenant, oh, well, yes, Lieutenant Werner Fisher was either the author and or was a major contributor to these daily reports. 
I say this because my dad ran the G2 Order of Battle section in 5th Army HQ forward for almost the entirety of the Italian campaign. He always felt wow. gen- he always felt General Clark was unfairly maligned for heading for Rome after the Anzio breakout. I also Get in know there. Yeah, I also know that Anzio was the low point of the war from his perspective, even though he was wounded somewhere near Florence later in the year and would have spent two months in hospital recovering from his wounds before returning to his duties. I've been looking into my dad's service record of late primarily because I found out that a couple of years ago that he was a Ritchie boy taking part in his first class. Because my dad was born and raised in Switzerland before immigrating to the US, he spoke all of the languages of interest fluently. Ah, right. Anyway... I am glad Which to is why it's in the G2. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad to have found your podcast, and I will try to dig back through it, especially as it relates to North African and Italy campaigns. Well, thank you, John. That, that, wow. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, is there was... I'll have after, to drop him a line. Well, after we talked about um, uh, uh, Clark and Rome, there was, there, was, there was a bit of sort of Twitter to and fro about it. And I think you can't, you can't underemphasise you're capturing Rome. It's Rome, for God's sake. You, you, Western, Western culture has, has stand Rome and the Roman Empire um, since hard since the Renaissance. So the idea that capturing Rome would be something, oh, actually, you know what? It's not a political objective. It doesn't, doesn't feed into our grand strategy. Is, is, I think is, is basically preposterous. If you've got the chance to capture Rome without smashing it up, you absolutely do it. Well, it's one of the big objectives of the Italian campaign. I know, but it's also, but it's, and and of course it is. And it is, it is because for so many reasons that that completely overwhelm the idea that actually, no, you know, you, 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 you shouldn't do that because there's other things you you should do. It's Rome, for God's sake, in a theatre, which we've just been talking about, has been this relentless attritional grind with no proper breakouts, with no swanning, with none of the, none of the things that you're always promised as the fruits of every, Every operation you, every new attritional break-in operation that you do, you're promised the fruit of swanning on to the next big place. The idea that when you get the opportunity to do that at Rome, you don't take it because you've got other housekeeping to do, is it's basically silly, I think. And the, and the sort of criticism, I think, is essentially silly. <laughs> For want yep. of, for want well, of a, I mean, exactly a better it's, word, it's, it's what it's what Montgomery is aiming to do when he attacks Ortona. He's trying to get to you know what he wants to do is get to Rome. Then he thinks, okay, well, let me get to Pescara. Then he thinks, okay, well, let's just get to Ortona then, and then we can kind of move on to Pescara. Then we can get to Rome. Yeah, you know that's what he's trying to do. So so absolutely, it's 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 the objective. I mean, you know, the thing about Mark Clark is is everyone sort of goes, you know, he was so vain. Do you know what? He'd only be photographed on his left side. Yeah, it's like well, so he's vain. You know. So what? I mean, well, does yeah. that make I him mean, a bad general? Uh, it, well, exactly, and it's like it's clearly like, he's a total arsehole and can't command well, it, command well, in battle. Then, if he only if he only had to be photographed on his left, I mean, you, you know, people are confusing. I, I mean, I always felt this was one of the criticisms with Montgomery. People are confusing yeah. their dislike of him as a character with his well, abilities this, as a general, and it's just is, it's is, just that's how I've always come at that. I, t- I sort of what, what, you're, you're, you're co- you know, forget what he's like. You know, yeah, it, was he prickly? Could he? Was he arrogant? Could he be? Could he, did he have a chip on his shoulder? All those things. Does that make him a bad general? Not well, necessarily, no. Well, and, and I think we, could, we can dangle and entice this prospect. We, uh, we've, we've just started putting together some... Uh, 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 we have ways of making you talk USA thing. Are we allowed to, are we allowed yes. to talk about this? So, yeah, of course uh, we are. With, with John McManus and the, 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 the first 
podcast we, we we've recorded um was about yeah, and wasn't that fun coming soon it was tremendous fun um uh, coming soon uh we have ways of making you talk usa we have ways usa um basically and we we started off with one of the you know we thought we'd go for a very 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 big fish to discuss to start with which is doug MacArthur. and the thing is if you if you judge the guy on his flaws alone um you're you know it's a two-minute conversation that there's nothing to discuss. His victories have, uh, have become irrelevant and all that. And I, I think possibly the only way you get um, a general w- of Mark Clark's calibre is that you have to have someone who's vain. Maybe vanity is a requirement. Maybe being a, a prig like Montgomery is a requirement uh, or, 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 an, or an unavoidable part of the deal. Because after all, if you consider the responsibilities that these people are carrying around with them, if you consider yeah, the responsibilities, every decision you make involves people being killed. Every single decision you make yeah. involves bloodshed, yes. and of your own and of your own people, and putting your own people at risk. Without fail, people will get killed with every decision you make. Um, maybe that maybe that means that the the, the, the the vanity in your character is the bit that gets amplified. And also, you know, the American generals are all super aware of how to, how to run, how to engage with PR. Cause they've, you know, they've come through the twenties and thirties yeah. in a new, I, me- I think that's, in that's a new media thing. age and, and they're super switched onto it. And you look at, you look at what, you know, I mean, I think it's very interesting. The British army, what the, what the brass are all talking about. They're talking about there's the, the, the there's the, the people who are, are down on the men they're that they're having to turn into soldiers, saying, "Well, they've all been to the cinema too much. They all read. They've all they've all got their head in the clouds with entertainment." And the, but the smart people in the British Army go, "Right, we've got we've got to deal with the media age. We live in a media age now because they all go to the cinema and they're all keyed into that form of en- that kind of entertainment." And the clever ones go, "Right, in which case we need to look at public image. We need to figure out how to project an image to our men." Through the through the newsreels and also through appearing in front of them and being present, and turning up and dishing out cigarettes or whatever it is they have to do, and the Americans are totally plugged into that too. And, and all the smart American generals occupy a media space and have really obviously thought long and hard about how they're going to represent themselves in the media space. You know, Bradley presents himself as just another general. I'm just another. I'm the GI general. I'm just another guy. And when Ernie Pyle calls, specs, exactly. Know, when Ernie of... Pyle calls him that, he 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 runs with it. He go, and and you know what's interesting about it is GI is a recently coined term. In like it comes through in forty one forty two. It's not what soldiers are called before the war. It's a product of having mass mass conscription and people coming into the war. It's a nickname that bubbles out of the army, and that Pyle. You know, and Patton is also Patton's happiest when doing off the record briefings to the papers because he knows that that's how you have to talk. You have to talk to the people at home who need reassuring that their men's lives aren't being spent needlessly and that victory is around the corner. And you need and you also need to talk to the men in a language they'll understand. And and the the, the idea that Clark's vanity is somehow um, outside his conception of command and therefore in conflict with his conception of command is preposterous. He's if he's being vain, it's because he needs to project an image because he needs to reassure people at home and he needs his men to know who he is and them to have confidence in him. And so if it's is it vanity or is it actually part of a number for how you command in a new media age? Well, it's the latter. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And with it's that. not a flaw. It's really interesting because so do you remember a, the idea of regarding it as a flaw is to not understand how he views the job. Exactly that, and and it's very interesting because um, um, Sir Miles Lampson was the uh, ambassador, British ambassador in Egypt. Yeah. And his son Giles Lampson was um, a British ADC to Mark Clark. I've got some of his letters, and, and in one of them he says, um, "What's really interesting is is that." Um, all the American generals here keep vast scrapbooks of their, their newspaper cuttings. Um, and he says, you know, it's not the British way and we all think it's a bit vulgar. But on the other hand, if that's what helps them win the war, then fine. Yeah. And it is absolutely that. And, well, and they all do. Well, okay. and, 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 so, and, and so so uh, at the Citadel, there were vast albums of, of press cuttings, which I didn't bother yeah. to look at because I didn't really need to. But, but, but they are there. And the thing about Mark Clark is Mark Clark's got... got they know, you know, he knows perfectly well that it's important to the morale of his men and to the campaign as a wider whole that it gets coverage back home. That these yeah. guys are, you know, their effort is appreciated. That there is a point to it. Yeah. That they are being reported. Yeah. He knows that D Day is just around the corner and that this yeah. is going to be relegated. So you've got to absolutely make the most of every victory and every yeah. bit of PR you can eke out of it, which is what he does. And obviously. Personal vanity comes into it, but it's also about pushing Fifth Army forward, which is a broader institution, which also coincidentally has a number of British divisions within yeah. it. And it's also about pushing the Italian campaign and the yeah. wider Italian campaign, which is also doing everybody else, you know, whether they be in Eighth Army or whether they be in Fifth Army, a favour as well. So what if he's vain? I mean, yeah. I, you know, well, it this may is even part be and parcel he, of, of... But it may even be that he knows he's vain... And he thinks, how can I use this part of my personality for the good of my men? It may even be that he's completely aware of what his flaws are, as as viewed in that way. Because I don't think it's a flaw in this instance. And it, I mean, th- well, it's but, very th- interesting reading his diaries because yeah. because what you find is you can see he's chippy. He's chippy yeah. at Salerno. Yeah. He's chippy in the build up before before Operation Diadem as well. That he he feels that that although Alexander has said. Fifth Army is going to take Rome. He, he can see that Lise is winding him up and, yeah. and sort of suggesting that Eighth Army might get there first. Yeah. And he's really agitated about this. It, it really is important to him that, that Fifth Army and he takes, and Americans take, yeah. his American army, albeit with British soldiers in it, take Rome. Yeah. The moment that proceeds, you can see him just relax. <laughs> you can see him kind of getting, OK, it's going to be fine. Eighth Army, I don't need to worry about them anymore. I don't need to worry yeah. about Lise. And his all his kind of his stresses and, and growing outrage and, and anxiety that all just melts away. It's yeah. it's, it's really interesting, and it, you have to remember that although he's an incredibly competent and proven operational commander, as uh, someone who has organised troops, or you know, he's basically yeah. to- Operation Torch is his baby. I mean, he's yeah. basically organised it, yeah. uh, and then he's built Fifth Army, trained it, and then landed it at Salerno. He hasn't had combat experience, so he's got to learn along the way. And obviously, he's on a he's on a higher plane than a lot of generals who yeah. have got loads of combat um, um, experience. And so, need, it's it's not surprising that he would have a bit of a chip on his shoulder about that. Yeah. But again, as he progresses through the Italian campaign, you can see that chip receding because, of course, he's started to be proven that he can he is up to it that he has he 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 is equal to the responsibility that's been given to him as an army commander. Yeah. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Who does Alexander turn to um, when he becomes supreme Allied commander in the uh, Mediterranean? He turns to Clark. Clark yeah. is the Allied army group commander in Italy. 
Yeah. And it could have been a British show. There's no reason, there's no political reason to make it an American yeah. at this stage. Yeah. He does so because Clark is the best man for the job. And he absolutely was. And the final campaign that he orchestrates and runs and plans and, and is, it's got his absolute stamp on every single bit is brilliantly, brilliantly planned and executed down yeah. to the, you know. So I, I think you can see a growth in Clark, which is really interesting. As, a, as an army, army uh, commander, then an army group commander, you can see him improving all the time. He's well, hungry to get better. He's ambitious for himself, for his army, for, for you know, and, and that kind of level of drive, I think, is really important. Well, and that, I don't but, see that that's a, that's a, that, that's a, that's a gripe. But that's also what the American army's going through as well. The army Exactly. So he's a light motif for the bigger picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other, I mean, what this brings to mind though, Jim, is when we spoke to Max um, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, yeah. We didn't. There was a there was a thought that that got kicked around in our conversation that we didn't quite join up, right? No, um, there's a there's a few of those. I think we well, were being a little well, bit. Well, well, no, but the one well. the one that the one that afterwards I was really kicking myself was about. So, so he, he talked about how Churchill Churchill didn't get it. Churchill saw war in terms of glory, and and it was surprised, you know, and, and what the men in the desert would say they're fighting for is their their families. They want to get home, and and you know, and then in the end it turns into. You know, and then the army go certainly the army educational board and all that sort of stuff. You you get this you get this thing that it's about beverage and all that sort of stuff, right? As a, as a, as part of the story. Then you have and then you have the question of Churchill's distaste for for Harris. And interestingly, you talked about Clark there. Harris was very concerned with his men's morale. Was very concerned with the, the with the idea that people at home thought this was all worth it. Was very concerned with projecting a media image. Wasn't vain in himself, but was sort of vain of his command. So was was very, very keen on making sure that people knew what the bomber offensive was, was for, thought it was going well and all that. Right. So th- th- there's a comparison with Clark. But Churchill regarded him as a blunt instrument, didn't like him. The, the problem is that is, I refl- think, a reflection of Churchill's misunderstanding of war. Churchill's looking for glory in, in, in war. That's what's motivating him. But he needs blunt instruments. He needs he and and he needs blunt instruments because what he's got is men who are fighting to go home, right? So, so you so for him to be so, I I think it's I think there's a big process after the war. There's this thing that happens after the war, a sort of subconscious moral revulsion with the things that, or even conscious moral revulsion with the things that have had to be done, and so the men that took responsibility for those terrible things that had to be done. Cop it. They, they are used as the lightning rod for a post-war feeling of Jesus Christ, especially with the bombing campaign. We stooped to the enemy's level. It's a thing Richard Overy talks about, you know, that we had to stoop to the Nazi level to defeat them of bombing civilians indiscriminately and all that sort of stuff. And I think that's, that's where somehow you end up misappraising some or appraising someone like Clark or Monty or Harris and, and zooming in on their personal faults and zooming in on what unpalatable and unpleasant people they were. And the reason they're unpleasant, unpleasant and unpalatable people is because you're having to do an unpleasant and unpalatable thing. So you, you light on those people and you make them the lightning rod for how society feels about the thing it has had to do. And I think, I think that goes with, you know, that goes with it being a democratic war, a people's war and everything. A civil society had to do something completely uncivil. So how do you go back to being civil? You, you reject the people that showed you the way. 
because they led you to terrible places. And I think that's a big part of what happens to people like Montgomery and a big part of what happens to Harris is that you just can't possibly thank them for what they did because what they did was led you into darkness because that's where you had to go. And that's really how I feel about those people. And, 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 uh, uh, and, and, and in a way, talking to Max, I felt he couldn't, he can't quite join, or we didn't get him to join those thoughts up. That, that you need Harris to lead the bloke who just wants to go home. And, and Churchill's conception of a glorious war simply doesn't fit into that relationship. I, th- I think that's absolutely spot on. I, I, I really do. I, I, and I've been thinking a lot about this about, with Italy, of course. Yeah. Because, you know, at what point does, to destroy evil, how much evil do you have to commit? Well, and and that, it's Lord that, of, it, but it's Lord of the Rings. I mean, you know. It's Lord you, of the Rings. It's, it's the exactly, Rings. Your brother, your exactly brother, that. Your, your brother and Dominic on their, on, yeah. on their podcast have been talking about Lord of the Rings a lot. And I've gone back to reread it. And, and this, yeah. the central question in Lord of the Rings is, yeah. how far do we go to defeat these terrible, terrible people? And, you know. Uh, well, I, 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 and essentially, I'm very convinced by their argument, aren't well, you? Well, I mean, I'm, yeah. Well, and essentially, Arab, you know, when you when you read all of the rings, that they kill every orc they can possibly get their hands on, and it's, it's yeah, you, you, you know what I mean. It's it's not a pretty again. It's not a pretty picture. But I think, but I think so much of how figures like uh, Montgomery, uh, so much of how you pound uh, how the, the the mistakes they made get amplified and turned into what dreadful people they were is because war's dreadful. And we had to do a dreadful thing, and every death that they are responsible for, they are amp- their responsibility is amplified because otherwise, it's we did this as a society, a civil society. We did this as a you know. It's very. It's like also like the way that when you look at the Second World War, it's the Conservative Party that gets Britain into the Second World War. No mistake by screwing up in the late 30s. And then the, and then it's the Conservative Party that somehow gets Britain out of the Second World War in the form of Churchill, who, after all, is not really a mainstream Conservative in the 30s by any stretch of the imagination. And that, so, the, so the Tory party, they get to say they won, that Churchill won the Second World War. They get, they get to admit that they got Britain into it. And, Labour, and, and what Labour gets out of it is they get the Attlee government. And that, that's, the, that's the deal. The political deal at the end of the uh, historic political deal, as it were, and I think, but 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 the, when you start to push into Churchill's attitudes, the people who he had working for him and with him, it all gets quite complicated because, uh, uh, you know, if the soldiers are just fighting to get home, and and he thinks Harris, Harris is a disgusting blunt implement, that's just Churchill unable to face the reality of war in a strange way, which is peculiar because he's the great warlord. He can't see it. When we talked to Max, I felt I, I, I kind of, I was, it was just, it was brilliant to talk to him. And he's so articulate. He's so, and he's, and he's got his, he's got his position flat, fleshed out. I thought I can't really, vent, I can't venture this. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd uh, drop it with, drop it in with you, Jim, behind his back. <laughs> well, I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely legitimate. Um, <laughs> I, 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 but I also think, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I totally, totally agree with that take. It's like the idea of this, you know, the sin eater. And it's just, where, it's just... Where, where someone has to, someone has to eat this. It's, you know, the old, the old, you know, uh, uh, someone has to carry the stuff, you know, the, the, the way that, the way, for instance, Montgomery was accu- is accused of being a homosexual, of being, of being a paedophile and all those sort of things. That's how you, that's how you, that's how you, you know, if you wanted to smear someone in the old days, you'd say they were gay. You, 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 it wouldn't have, you shouldn't have any, couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't have any traction now. But that's what you used to say about someone to undermine yeah. them. And, and 
And and obviously he does he does say mad, crazy, horrible, racist things in the sixties about apartheid, not sort of thing. So he's he is unpalatable. But 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 the point is that he's carrying the war with him, and you 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 shove him off. You go look look at that ghastly prick who you know um, is a terrible man. But but it's because how else does a civil society digest the experience of war, as well as telling glorious tales about itself? You know, yeah, um, which is the thing Max talks. I about. I mean, it is it is amazing that uh, the literature on the Italian campaign, yeah. you know, whether it be Eric Morris, whether it be Raleigh Trevelyan, you know, whoever it is, you know, that were writing these books in the kind of sixties, seventies, and eighties, it it's relentlessly downbeat. It was rubbish. It was a yeah. terrible campaign. Yeah. It was badly fought. The Germans were really good in their defence and, 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 you know, much better man for man. Um, you know, we were lions led by donkeys. It's, yeah. it's all that stuff. And it's just, it's so warped and, and frankly wrong. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, it's just amazing. It, it is really, really incredible how how downbeat everyone is and and yeah. it's just it's it's just missing a whole level of comprehension yeah and it's just you know the the truth of the matter is is it was an incredibly difficult place to fight they'd been commit they'd they'd been committed the, the winter was terrible as i never yeah. failed to remind people <laughs> and 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 it's they got that you know the, from the allied point of view they got themselves into a situation where they there was no retreat, you know, there was no reverse, you know, they, they had to keep going forward. Yeah. And, and with and diminishing, well, I mean, you've got battalions. So, so the Canadian battalions at Ortona, we're always talking about, well, you know, we're up against all these German, German divisions in, in Italy, but they were under strength. Well, battalions are rarely under strength in, in yeah. Normandy because they're just across from the channel and there's lots of people coming through. But in Italy, you're always getting that you're always last on the list. Yeah. So you're not getting those replacements through, and you're not getting them through in any quick time on the Adriatic coast in winter. Yeah. So, so these battalions are not 900 strong; they're 500 strong. Yeah. You know, these companies are not 130 men strong; they're kind of 90 to 80. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you know, your your platoons are 20 men, not 36. Yeah. You're getting ground. Down. And so everything yeah. is just it's just everything stretched. But- but in a way all, that it's it's but, not anywhere else. But this is the campaign where you're where there is no glory. You have to be a blunt instrument, and finally there's civilians caught up in it. And also there is this. There is also in large amounts. I mean, I know there are people in Tunisia. That's not me being. That's not being me being Eurocentric. But there, but there is an element of well, there are white people caught up. You know, and it's of the time that there are Italians and it, it, Italy is the cradle of civilization. All this stuff, as well as having gone fascist. So there's the Again, there's that, there's that old allied thing where they go, how can the most civilised people in the world turn to fascism? Which is the, th- the question that gets asked in Germany a lot and the question that gets asked of, of Italy a lot. And, I, I, and I've, I think that's got other associations anyway. But you've got, you have finally got, there are people caught up in it. So, that, so you can't depict it like, because the, the war in the desert, after all, is depicted as this sort of chivalric thing where it yeah, isn't. Yeah, yeah. It isn't. War without hate. Exactly. And and you can, but you can resort to that to tell the story of it in the desert. Even though there are stories of you know married blokes bayoneting as many Germans as they could possibly get their hands on, all that sort, of, you know there is there is that in the picture too. But 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 you can tell that story kind of convincingly about North Africa and propel how you go on that. And you've got the officers with their with their gazala chase attitude. You know uh, that the, 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 there's that there's a kind of 
horse race going on. And they, you, you can't do that in Italy. In Italy. And if 43 is the year where you fall between the, the, reality, where you, the realities of the blunt instrument required to win the war make themselves clear. And you're, not, you're also not quite in the phase of a allied abundance. You're still doing things just about as best you can with the kit you've got. You're not into the abundant phase, the tipping point, which is, you know, mid-44, where, where, where everything sort of goes bonk in favour of the Allies yeah. in terms of material power. I mean, it, it's so interesting that that campaign should be the one... No one can find any glory in it, so, so they, of course they're downbeat on it. Whereas once you're in Europe, and you're, once you're in northern Europe, northwest Europe, and you're aiming at Berlin, there is at least, I suppose, a... But I think there is yeah, some glory. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some glory in capturing Rome. There's some well, glory exactly, in but, bringing but down the fascist but, regime. But, but that's but that's that's see that's besmirched, isn't it? Why did they go for Rome? Uh, it, yeah. It's the it's the question. They waste their time going for Rome. They missed an opportunity. So it falls into the sort of critical. It, 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 you know, it's in the scales. It's weighed against. But, the but it's also moment. why. It's, it's, but it's also why. Someone like Mark Clark is so media savvy and why he, he's so conscious of it and why he only wants to be photographed on his left side or whatever, yeah. you know, in, and without his helmet on, in just with his field cap. Because yeah. it's about an image. It's about pushing yeah. not just him. You know, he is the representative of Fifth Army, the US effort in in the land war in, in Italy. Yeah. And it's about pushing forward that cause and keeping yeah. it to the forefront of people's minds back home. Yeah, yeah. well, of course. And, 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 and making the whole thing worthwhile. There is a point to this. Yeah. Because you know, if you, you're forgotten, what are you doing? Well, because you've got a civilian army and the Americans have this enormous... After right, all, in, exactly. In 41, before America enters the war, they've this enormous problem where they've recruited one and a half million people and there is no war, there is no emergency um, that, that Roosevelt said he needs to recruit this giant army for and m- morale collapses almost completely. And that they have a terrible job hauling themselves out of that yep. that sort of plug hole of morale that 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 everything's you know they're circling the drain in ni- mid 1941 in terms of how you run an army when there is no war there is no emergency they've got real proper problems and everyone know everyone with any stars on them uh, knows this they they know this they know that this yep. is the this is the, actually one of the issues that they have to deal with as much as you know, because combat efficiency comes from that. It doesn't come from... Yeah. Because you can't train people if they're not and engaged. And what these guys on the ground are having to go through, whether you be German, whether you be Canadian, yeah. whether you be American, yeah. whether you be British or whatever, or yeah. New Zealand or whatever, yeah. is just... And, and this was something where I thought Max was really good. You know, he really, really yeah. touched on this. Was is this, you know, lying in a sodden foxhole halfway yeah. up a mountain yeah, yeah, being yeah. bombed and shelled and it's freezing yeah. cold yeah. and it's utterly miserable and, and the difference the, the gulf between what you're used to back home yeah, yeah, even yeah. if you're you know impoverished from a kind of sort of forgotten corner of the dust bowl yeah. or whether you're from the slum tenements of leeds or bradford yeah. or something yeah the difference is so vast, and what you're what you're luring to is so enormous. Yeah, you you are expecting a huge amount of these people. Yeah, a huge amount, and yet they're still going forward. They're still battling over the morrow. Yeah, yeah. they're still kind of fighting their way through Ortona or scrabbling up Monte Camino with a mule pack. Yeah, uh, you know it's 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 impossible to you know you know you you having. Heard that podcast about J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and having to yeah. sort of done exactly what you've done, which is to revisit those books. 
it's impossible not to get that out of your mind and yeah. and that kind of sort of grim dark kind of sense of foreboding and this is never going to be ending and yeah. sort of ghastliness um and so I think you know what has to give you're you're absolutely right you have to give a huge amount of latitude to these commanders whose job is to try and spur these people on yeah. who don't want to be there who aren't interested you know in a campaign that people are kind of slightly losing the will to live for I mean what a challenge well yeah exactly and so you're going to make mistakes and and what we uh, and and what we also doing here is we're talking about this in a vacuum there's an enemy <laughs> there's an enemy who's trying to disrupt you as best he can all the time, who, who, who also, who, who's grappling with these things in his own way too. I, I, well, anyway. one of the things I've been looking at this morning is, is um, um, uh, Lieutenant Oberst Hans Eggert, who is um, on the general staff of, yeah. he's on the quartermaster staff of Army Group C. Yeah. <laughs> My God, his challenges are... Well, I can only imagine. Anyway, well, I think we've, we've, we've kicked that ball around fairly comprehensively. Um, uh, yeah, I think we have. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a good thought, though. Um, that's a really well, good, good one. I'm, I'm with you on this. Well, I, I just think you, so much of it is to do with how do you as a society digest what you'd had to do? Yeah. Yeah, and how yeah. do you move on? How do you move on from that? And one of what, one yeah. of the ways of moving on from that is rejecting the people who you gave the responsibility to, and that's so much part of it. That's so much a part yeah. of it. Anyway, um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, as we said, we have ways in the USA or whatever we're calling it. Um, we'll be coming soon. We're just getting those on yes. its feet. Uh, James and I uh, will be in Guildford next Tuesday night to talk about. Yes, to talk about. Yeah, that's exciting. Command. So I finished copies in now. Um, not quite. We're just we're, we're waiting on them. Right, they're, they're imminent, imminently with me, which is very exciting. Okay. Okay. Um, and I'm um, uh, and then looks great on our, on the Patreon. Um, there is a list of all the signings. Although it's a TBC list of all the signings we're doing because we're plugging it into my touring. So we're go- I mean we're going we're going all over Leeds and Woking and all sorts of places, and we're trying to fill as many gaps as we possibly can. We're going to Waterstones and also. Their main in if they're on a weekday they're going to be at lunchtime and if the weekend they're going to be sort of half past three. So because uh, we we're trying to fit it round my movements and not I don't want too many because I have late nights working I don't want too many early mornings to get to you but obviously we do want to get to you and get the signed books to you and there will be books with Coles as well. So there's lots happening. Anyway, thanks for listening everybody. We will see you all soon. Cheerio. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>